0: chapter 2. I'm also going to ask you to hold your place in Romans chapter 6. So a couple places there will be in Galatians chapter 2 and then put a marker in Romans chapter 6. We'll come to that a little bit later on in the message. And once you have found your place there in Galatians chapter 2, I'll ask you to stand in honor of God's word tonight. Galatians chapter 2. We're going to be covering verses 17 through 21 tonight, but I do want to pick up our reading in verse number 16. We kind of come in at the end of a thought uh, that introduces uh, an even greater thought. And so we're coming in right in the middle of that. So for the sake of context, we'll begin our reading in verse 16, but we'll cover verses 17 through 21 tonight. So Galatians chapter 2 and verse 16. Knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ, Even we have believed in Jesus Christ, that we might be justified by the faith of Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. But if, while we seek to be justified by Christ, we ourselves also are found sinners, is therefore Christ the minister of sin? God forbid... For if I build again the things which I destroyed, I make myself a transgressor. For I, through the law, am dead to the law, that I might live unto Christ. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not frustrate the grace of God, for if righteousness come by the law, then Christ is dead in vain. A lot of very powerful and impactful statements in those few verses. There's also a lot of confusing and seemingly conflicting statements in those verses. And so I got to be honest, it took me about two weeks to get this message together uh, because there's just a lot to sort through there, and a lot to uh, what what does this mean? And so, I'm gonna do my best with God's help to communicate what it means to you tonight. But the title of our message is the cause and effect of righteous living. So, may God bless the reading of His word. You may be seated. The cause and effect of righteous living. One of the universal laws of life is the law of cause and effect. The idea there is that in any given scenario, the cause is responsible for the effect and the effect is dependent upon the cause. Very simplistic there, but let me just illustrate it this way. You know Newton's, uh, what's it called, his cradle pendulum, you know, where it's got the, the five balls collected together there and, and it's hanging on the string, you know, and you pick it up and you drop it and it hits the other one on the other side. You know, and they kind of hit each other. Back, I thought about bringing one of those, but it'd probably be too small uh, to show in here. And it would also uh, I would have no use for it afterwards. And so instead, I'm going to ask you to use your glorified imagination here that we've got this huge pendulum here and it's got the bars going up over my head here. We've got these five massive steel balls here that are all tied together and hung together by strings and so if we had this pendulum here then I would come over here and I would grab the ball on this end and pull it way back and then I would let it go and it would come and it would smack into these other four balls but only the one on the other end would go up and it would swing and when it comes back it would hit the other one back and so you've got that tick 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 it's really fascinating I actually saw a YouTube video I thought about showing, but it just wasn't going to work out right. Uh, But this person does it in all these different ways, you know, where they do it that way and then they pull both out and they just kind of bounce off each other, you know, and then they take two and and they drop two and then these two go, you know, and so that's the the law of cause and effect. And the idea there is that the tapping of this ball against these balls, that's the cause of for this ball over here to swing out. And when it comes back, it's the cause of this ball making this one swing out. And so and that's the idea of cause and effect. But I would actually say that there's a greater cause behind that, and that's the person who picks up the ball and pulls it back. Okay? And so they are the cause. It's them pulling this thing back, letting it go, that causes the effect. And so it's the cause and effect. The cause creates the effect, and the effect is dependent on the cause. Well, the last few verses here of Galatians chapter 2, Paul is really anticipating an objection by the Judaizers regarding the cause and effect of justification by faith. See, the apostle Paul has laid out plain and simple that justification, again, which means to be declared righteous, comes only by faith in Christ apart from the works of the law. That has been the Apostle Paul's argument. Now, these Judaizers, they were proponents of the doctrine that, yes, you needed Jesus to be forgiven, but you also needed the works of the law in order to live righteously today. And in some ways, that makes sense. Okay, Yes, I need Jesus to be justified and to stand righteous before God, but I need the law in order to help me live right today. That was really what they were getting at but paul has been explaining that justification has nothing to do with the law and only to do with christ and again the idea of justification there is going to be used interchangeably with righteousness in this text that's the idea is justification is righteousness and righteousness is justification okay and so the judaizers what they do is they come to the conclusion then That if you can be justified only by faith in Christ and you don't have to keep the law, then this is what that is doing. Jesus is pulling the ball back and he's releasing justification by faith in the abolition of the law. And in doing so, if a believer continues to live in sin, then that is because Christ made it so. That's what their argument is, is that Jesus is actually the cause of the effect of sin. If he says, you can be righteous by faith and you don't have to keep the law. That's their argument. Is that that means that Jesus is actually facilitating sin. That's a pretty heinous charge. And that's why the Apostle Paul is dealing with it. He's explaining that it's actually just the opposite That justification by faith does not facilitate sin, but that it actually facilitates and is the cause of the effect of righteousness, not sin. Well, here's the question then. Why is it that justification by faith, apart from the works of the law, apart from human merit, why is it possible for it to facilitate righteousness, rather than sin. See, that's a good question. They have a somewhat of an argument there that if you get saved by faith and then you don't have to keep the law, then isn't that just going to tend itself towards sin? That's what they're saying here. And Paul's saying, no. (laughs) Why is that? Well, it's possible that you've been saved. You've been justified. You've been declared righteous before God by the faith of Jesus Christ, but you might still be controlled by sin. Sin might still very much be a part of your life. Or you might know a believer who has sin in their life. And the way they're living is, is just in no way uh, uh, equal to their faith in Christ. And so we, we all see that happen. And many times what we do is we address this issue by building up moralistic rules and regulations for people to follow. That if you'll stay in these lines, then you'll be righteous before God. But here's the problem. There's still that sinfulness within And they can be living within all the boundaries of righteousness that we've set up and all the moralistic rules and regulations, and yet still in the secrecy of their own home and their own bedroom be living in sin. And so rules and regulations don't facilitate righteousness. But if you don't have a list of rules and regulations to follow line for line, then how do you live righteously and acceptable before God today? Because you might say, yes, I know that Jesus has declared me righteous before God, but I find myself warring and struggling with sin constantly. And so uh, so why is it? And how, how do I come to the place where my justification by faith in Christ facilitates righteousness instead of sin? Well, let's find out here. Paul is going to teach here that justification by faith does not facilitate sin. I want you to look at verse 17. It says this. But if while we seek to be justified by Christ, uh, what this means there is he's looking for it. He's saying, yes, I am justified by faith in Christ. He says, if while we seek to be justified by Christ, we ourselves also are found sinners, is therefore Christ the minister of sin? You know what he's saying there? That there are some who, although justified by faith, were actually still found to be in sin. They were still living godless lives. They were still living as though they were not justified by faith in Christ. And so the logical conclusion for the Judaizers here was that justification, a justification that by faith that does away with the law and leads to sin must make Jesus the minister of sin. That word minister means the agent or the facilitator, as we've been talking about. Okay, and so what they're saying there again, and I don't want to hammer this like a dead horse into the ground, but I just want to make sure that I'm clear here that what's happening is they are saying that if Jesus justifies you by faith and yet I still see you as a wicked sinner and you're still doing godless things and, and heinous things, if I still see you doing that and you don't have to keep the Mosaic law then isn't Christ facilitating sin in your life? That's what they're saying. And to that, Paul's response is a stern, God forbid. That means by no means, no way, no how is Christ the facilitator of sin. Now, if you believe in a Calvinistic salvation, like some of even our Baptist brothers do, they believe in total determinism, that God decrees every move and every action that every person makes, then you would have to say that Christ is the minister of sin because you're saying that Christ literally determines that this person is going to have that thought, they're going to have that belief, they're going to have that action that it's predetermined by Christ. Hey, there's a faction in our Christianity that believes that. Well, this would blow that argument out of the water completely. Now, they would never... They would never go about saying, yes, Christ is the facilitator of sin. They would never say that, but when you believe in a deterministic God, that's exactly what you believe in, whether you want to admit it or not. And so Paul says, God forbid. See, here's what we need to understand is that when a justified person chooses to sin, he alone bears the blame, not Jesus Christ. Because there are some who question born-again believers who still live Ungodly lives and it leads others to question their salvation and to question even the sufficiency of Christ. But when a believer chooses to live in sin, it's not because Jesus is insufficient, it's because he craves after sin. It's because that's what he wants, that's what the natural sinful man wants. So Jesus is not the facilitator of sin. And that's what Paul wants to clear out a spot and make clear. <laughs> no. Justification by faith does not facilitate sin. But he also wants them to know this that just as justification by faith does not facilitate sin, the law does not automatically facilitate righteousness. Look with me in verse 18. He says, For if I build again the things which I destroyed, I make myself a transgressor. What is that talking about? Well, if you remember, Paul grew up in this very Pharisaical system of Judaism, where they believed that you could attain perfect righteousness before God by perfectly keeping the law. And so that's what he built his life upon and even gives his own testimony as such, that he was a Hebrew of heroes, Hebrews, a Pharisee of the Pharisees, that he, according to the law, he was blameless. According to zeal for God, he persecuted the church. And so what that tells us is this, that while Paul was striving in his life, to obtain this perfect righteousness by the works of the law, he was still found a persecutor and a murderer of Christians. See, in spite of all his striving to attain righteousness by the law, he was still found a sinner. And so what happened is on the Damascus Road, Jesus came and he flipped his belief system upside down. And he comes to show the Apostle Paul that, no, you can't attain righteousness. You see how hard you're trying to attain righteousness? And yet what you're finding is here you are coming to Damascus to try to imprison innocent people for their faith in Jesus Christ. And you're murdering people for their faith in Jesus Christ. So even though you're trying to get righteousness by the law, you're still falling short because you're still a murderer. You need a righteousness that can't come from within. And Jesus evidently told him, I am that righteousness. You are justified by faith and by faith in me alone. And so what that means is his system of moralistic salvation had been completely obliterated, completely destroyed. Well, look at what he says there. If I build again the things which I destroyed, I make myself a transgressor. In other words, If I'm justified by faith in Christ and then I go back over here and I start reconstructing the law in my life, you know what I'm making myself? A transgressor. What does that mean? A lawbreaker. What's this talking about? Let me try to picture it for you. Over here, the Apostle Paul had been justified by faith in Christ. Over here, he stands righteous before God, pure, undefiled. Capable of being in God's presence. That's where he stands right now, justified by faith in Christ. What he says is, if I go back here to the law, I put myself back in a position of being condemned. Back in a position of being unrighteous. Back in a position of being in my sin. Why? Because the law serves not the purpose of righteousness, but the purpose of sin. It shows him I am a sinner. Why? Because I can't keep the law of God. And so what I actually do is I change positions. Why would I, when I've been justified, when I've been made righteous by Christ, why would I go back to trying to make myself righteous by the law, which I proved already couldn't be done? And So he's saying that reconstructing the law cannot produce righteousness. And so I want to tell you tonight that boundaries and limitations can't solve the problems of sin in your life. See, they might help. But they can't solve the problem of sin. You see, as you go through town here, and I'm thinking in particular, um, as you go down Iris to Folsom and you hang a left, that you'll see that that Folsom has some pretty severe curves there that go back and forth. And so so many severe curves that what they've done is they've actually added curbs. I've never seen this before, but there are curbs right there in the shoulder, (laughs) not even up against the sidewalk, but in the shoulder. There are curbs there. And if that's not enough, there's a curb on the other side of it to keep the bikers inside those curbs. And if that's not enough, they also have these three or four foot tall pylons right next to that. Why are they having to do that? Why do they put center uh, grooves in the center line up in the mountains? Why do they do that? Because people aren't staying in their lane. People are veering off. They're not paying attention. They're on their phones. And that can be very dangerous for bikers that are around the corner that they can't see. And so they've decided to Put up these boundaries. You know what that tells us? If everybody would just pay attention and drive right, you wouldn't have to have all the boundaries and all the curbs. Well, what I'm telling you is this, that policies and rules are not inherently wrong. They can help. Setting up guards in your life can help. Developing a a checklist of things that you should and should not do as a Christian, hey, that can help. But here's the fact of the matter is that we still have people that end up on those center grooves we still have people that do curb checks i'm one of them we still have people that run over pylons and run over cones and so just putting them there doesn't solve the problem why because the problem is not with the road the problem is with the driver the driver's not paying attention the driver's not alert to his surroundings The driver's the one making the choice not to go the right way. And that's the same thing in our Christian lives, that when people choose to live in sin, it's not because we don't have boundaries. It's not because we don't have rules and policies. It's because we still have a sinful flesh that wants its way in our lives. It longs for sin. It craves after sin. And so what Paul's saying here is that Christ does not facilitate sin. But the law does not facilitate righteousness. In fact, the, the law, what it really does is it just makes you a transgressor. Why? Because you can't keep it. Right. So what they do is if they become Jews and they get circumcised, right. then if they break a holy day, that's more sin in their life. And if they break a dietary law and they have a strip of bacon, that's more sin in their life. And if they gather too much out of the corners of their field, that's sin in their life. Do you see what I'm saying here? That the more they come into into the law, the more it actually produces sin in their life. It makes them a transgressor. It makes them a lawbreaker. So what is Paul teaching here? Well, he's teaching that justification by faith actually facilitates righteousness in our lives. It's not the law. No, Christ doesn't facilitate sin. The law doesn't facilitate righteousness. But I will tell you this, that justification justification by faith does facilitate righteousness. How is that? I want you to look at verse 19. This is another one of those weird verses. For I, through the law, am dead to the law. What does that mean? Well, through the law, I am dead to the law. Here's what he's saying is that it's through the law comes the knowledge of sin. See, sin did not bring me to righteousness. No, sin brought me, to, or, or the law brought me not to righteousness. The law brought me to sin. It made me realize this. I'm a sinner before God. The law of God showed me that I can't be righteous by myself. And so here's what happened is when sin, when, or when the law gave me the knowledge of sin, It brought me to the need of the Savior. And when I came to realize my need of the Savior, I then became dead to the law. Here's why. Because I knew I can't be righteous by the law. I can only be righteous by faith in Jesus Christ. And so that means I'm dead to the law. That means it has no more part in my life anymore. Why? Because I already have the only righteousness that can make me righteous and justified before God. And that is through Jesus Christ. In fact, Paul's death to the law Facilitated life unto God. It says, For I through the law am dead to the law that I might live unto God. Now, what is he saying here? I'm gonna try to illustrate this way in a way that makes sense. What he's saying is this: that justification by faith puts your life under new management. What what do you mean by that? Well, have you ever seen that sign that says under new management? You go to a store, and what's that telling you? Well, it's telling you that if you've come to this store and maybe you had a horrific experience, maybe they didn't take care of you, or maybe they didn't give you the right amount of money on your refund, or maybe the store is disgusting and filthy or whatever it might be, you had a bad experience at this store, we want you to know this, we're under new management. A change has taken place. You can bring your business back here. When I moved to the Sherwin-Williams store in Firestone, the manager there in 2015 The guy was a total slob. It was bad. I mean, there was paper everywhere, clutter all over the storefront. It was dirty and dusty as could be. I mean, orders would get lost, which means customers would get mad because their orders weren't made. I mean, it was totally disorganized. And we had a ton of people that just stopped shopping there altogether because of how filthy the store was. Well, in 2016, we got a new manager. And this manager was a complete neat freak. He couldn't stand the way that everything was. And so very quickly after he became the manager, we had a store meeting. He presented the problems, which was pretty obvious, but he presented the problems and then he introduced the solutions to those problems. And so really within a few days, that store looked totally different. Everything was organized. Everything was properly managed. We were actually using uh, 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 order forms instead of sticky notes to put customers' orders on. Everything was neat. Everything was organized. Everything had its place. And all you had to do was walk in that store and you understood this. Everything is so different. This place must be under new management. You see, when you are justified by faith in Christ, your life comes under new management. See, before you were under the management of the law and the law dictated everything that you had to do. And everything that was necessary to be made right with God. And so the law is what managed. The law is what ruled your life. And here's what you came to find out. I'll never be good enough to be saved before God. I'll never be good enough to be able to enter God's presence. You were under that management. But what happens is when you were justified by faith in Christ... You became dead to the old manager. I should say this, the old manager became dead to you. You didn't have to do what the old manager told you to do anymore. No, your life was under new management. And so what happens is is when you get saved, when you trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior, then you're no longer under the management of the law, but rather you're under the management of God. You're dead to the law and alive to God. And here's what God begins to do. He begins to clean you up. He begins to restore order in your life. He begins to bring change. He gives you new desires and he takes away those old nasty desires. And you've got a newfound Holy Spirit within you that convicts you of your sin and says, No, you shouldn't be doing this. You shouldn't be looking at that. You shouldn't be going those places. You shouldn't be putting that inside your body anymore. You're no longer dead to or you're no longer alive to the law. You're dead to the law. Now you're alive to God. Somebody else is making a difference in your life. Well, how does this new management take place? verse 20. Paul says, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. What is Paul talking about here? Well, he's saying this, that when I died with Christ or when I Put my faith in Jesus Christ. Here's what happened. I was crucified with him. My old flesh and its rule and its control over my life, it died. It was crucified with Christ. And yet, look, I'm still living today. But it's not me that's living. It's Christ that liveth in me. And this life that I now live while I'm here in the flesh, I don't live by my flesh I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And so as a result of his justification by faith, through his crucifixion with Christ, Christ was now living within. And because Christ was living within, Paul was not living in sin. It was a huge difference in his life. He was different. He was no longer Saul the persecutor. He was now Paul the preacher. Everything was different for him. Let me put it this way. And and let me just say this. What Paul's communicating here is that change in his life was not by the works of the law. Because while he was trying to live in the works of the law, he was still living in sin. This life that he lives now was by the faith of the Son of God who loved him and gave himself for him. Let me put it this way. You ever seen a mascot? Think of CU's mascot, Chip. Not the real one, not Ralphie. That would fall short as an illustration. But we're talking about Chip. You know the guy with, you know somebody's in that costume, and so they're they're dressed up. They've got the the buffalo body and the big old buffalo head on them. And let's just say this that that there's a dainty little petite girl that is being chip, if we could put it that way. Now, girls walk a little different than guys do, right? Hopefully, <laughs> they, they ought to. And so you've got a, a, a petite young little college girl in there i imagine that she's gonna she's gonna walk a certain way she's gonna act a certain way she's gonna communicate a certain way she's gonna be extra rah rah hoorah kind of thing i mean she's just gonna be a little different well now imagine with me you put the strongest football player in the chip costume is that gonna be a little bit different yeah he might be a little bigger he might fill the suit a little bit more than she does He's probably going to act a little more or walk a little more ripped. He's probably going to be a little more animated, a little more muscular in things. Why? Why is there the shift from this person to this person? Because there's a different person living inside. And that's what Paul is saying here, that when I was living under the law and when I was living in sin, then this was my life over here. I acted a certain way. I talked a certain way. I walked a certain way. I lived a certain way. But what happened is when Christ saved me by faith, not by the works of the law, but when he saved me by faith, then my old flesh was removed from the costume and Jesus Christ came and Jesus Christ started living within and and all of a sudden, all my life was totally different. I started living a different way. I started being with different people. I was no longer with the Pharisees. I was with the Christians and everything in my life was different. Why? Because Jesus was living within. See, your crucifixion with Christ facilitates a completely different life. Completely different life. Now, once you go to Romans chapter six, Romans chapter six, the reason why we're turning here is because Romans chapter six is really a fleshed out, elaborated version of Galatians chapter two, verses 17 through 21. It's much more elaborate. He uses 23 verses to explain what he was trying to explain in those few verses, which is why some of those statements are so rough. It's because he was packing it into such a small little chapter. Well, Romans was a little longer. So what I'm going to do is I I just want to read through this, and you'll clearly pick up on some of the things that he's talking about, but I believe it helps enhance our understanding of what Paul was talking about. He says this in Romans chapter 6, verse 1. Again, you'll see the parallel here. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? You know what he's saying there? Is grace the facilitator of sin? Sound pretty familiar, huh? He says, God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein. Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. Do you see that? Baptism is the picture that you died with Christ on the cross, and when you were raised to life, it's supposed to be an entirely new life. Continue reading here, verse, verse number five. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin, for he that is dead is freed from sin. Now, if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we also shall also live with him. Knowing that being raised from the dead dieth no more, that Christ being raised from the dead dieth no more, death hath no more dominion over him. For in that he died, he died unto sin once, but in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. Likewise, in the same manner, reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body that you should obey it in the lust thereof. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for ye are not under the law, but under grace. And we'll just stop her reading there. We could go on, but for the sake of time, we'll just stop there. Do you see what he's saying here? He's saying that your crucifixion with Christ facilitates an entirely new life for you. Your old sinful flesh, it has no longer power to dictate what you do. Sin doesn't have to rule over your body because Christ has set you free from your sin. Your old man died with him. And so what what he's saying in Romans chapter 6 is the same thing he's saying in Galatians chapter 2, and that's this. When you put your faith in Christ, you come under new management. You're no longer ruled by sin. It has no more dominion over you. And so he says things like, let not sin therefore reign. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield ye your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. And so what he's saying now is it is Christ who lives with you, and when Christ lives within you, that will completely change who you are and what you do, and it will facilitate righteousness in your life. And so because Jesus lives within you, you have been freed from the dominating force of sin in your life, and you have now been given a choice of whether or not you allow sin to dominate your life. What he's saying is this. Because of Christ's death on the cross, you now have a free choice of whether or not you're going to sin. In other words, Jesus is sufficient for godly living why because not only did he justify you and declare you righteous before god but he has the power to make you righteous today why because he freed you from sin and its power and its stranglehold on your life i mean go back to galatians chapter 2 and look what he says at the end of galatians chapter 2 he says i do not frustrate the grace of god you know what he's saying there this justification by faith, apart from the works of the law, no, that does not frustrate the grace of God. That doesn't nullify it. It doesn't mean that that just because it's by faith and apart from the works of the law, that that's naturally going to facilitate sin in your life. It doesn't mean that God's grace isn't going to be flowing through your life. He says this, for if righteousness come by the law, then Christ is dead in vain. He's saying that your justification by faith facilitates Righteousness, because if, if, if you had to be made righteous by the works of the law, then what purpose did Jesus die for? There was no reason for him to die. It was in vain. It was empty. It was meaningless. And so faith in Christ not only declares the believer righteous before God, but it also makes him righteous right here, right now. In other words, this is what Paul is saying, that Christ either does everything for you or he does nothing for you. It's not like Christ justifies you before God, but you've got to live godly today by the works of the law. He either makes you righteous right here and right now, or he didn't make you righteous at all. See, when you trust Christ by faith, he not only declares you righteous before God, but he goes to work on making you righteous today. When you depend on Christ apart from anything Uh, When you depend on anything apart from Christ to make you righteous, then the death of Christ has no meaning in your life. What it's saying is that Jesus then is the cause of the effect of righteous living. That, no, Jesus doesn't pull it back and let justification by faith go so that you can go and live in sin. No, it's actually the opposite. It's so that you can go and live in righteousness. And so that's what he's talking about. Paul is revealing to us here That justification by faith does not facilitate sin, but rather it facilitates righteousness. And here's the reason why. Because Jesus lives within and through the believer. See, Jesus will not lead you to live a sinful life. He'll not lead you to sinful anger. He'll not lead you to violence or to vice or to drunkenness or substance abuse. He'll not lead you into vulgarity or profanity or uncontrolled lustful thoughts or fornication or adultery. He's not going to lead you to manipulate situations to, to make it in your favor. He's not going to lead you to be irresponsible with your finances. I mean, we're talking about everything in our life that would be sinful if Jesus is living within you and you're allowing him to live through you, then there's no way that your life is going to be sinful. Rather, here's what Jesus is going to do in your life. Because when you trusted Christ as your Savior, he gave you the Holy Spirit. And so when we get to Galatians chapter 5, it's going to say this, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness temperance and then he says this against such there is no law in other words what Jesus is what Jesus enables you to do through faith in him through him living in you and through him giving you the spirit is far better of a righteousness than could be lived by the works of the law against such there is no law And so what this means is Jesus is going to lead you to live a godly life. Jesus is going to lead a husband to love his wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. He's going to lead a a wife to be submissive to a godly, loving husband. He's going to lead you to be submissive to the authorities that he gives you in your life. I'm telling you that when Jesus Christ moves in to your life, it makes everything different. So here's the question then. Why is it? That some who profess the name of Christ are still ruled and dominated by sin. Why is that? Well, the first question to ask is this. Is Jesus living within? Is he there in the first place? Because if Jesus is living within, he's not going to facilitate sin. He's going to facilitate righteousness in your life. And so if you're constantly under the dominating power and control of sin, that's the first place to start. But if you realize this, no, my faith is in Christ, and that's what I don't get is I'm justified by faith. I know I'm declared righteous before God, and yet I'm still hammered by this sin. It still messes me up. It still trips me up. It still besets me almost on a daily basis. Why is that? I can't reconcile that. Well, upon the authority of the Scripture in Galatians chapter 2, as well as Romans chapter 6, it's simply because of this. You're not letting him live through you. You're letting your sin live through you. You're letting your flesh live through you. You're not yielding your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. You're yielding them as instruments of unrighteousness to sin. What this means is this, that if you're saved, but your life is dominated by sin, you have no one to blame but yourself. Why? Because he freed you from that. It has no control over you. You say, but you just don't understand. It does have control over me. Yes, that's because you gave it control over you long ago, the first time you looked at it, the first time you thought about it, the first time you were with that person. You gave it control, and because you gave it control, your life is now dominated. But what I want to tell you is this, the same Jesus who moved into your life at the day of salvation and declared you righteous before God is the same Jesus who can come back into your life and can change you and can give those, it can Can I say this? I can crucify that old man again and put him back in the grave so he doesn't dominate your life. I'm just trying to say this, that Jesus not only declared you righteous before God, he makes you righteous today if you will allow him to. A little bit easier said than done, isn't it? Why is that? Because we have this law of sin within us as well this sin that wants to fight against God, this sin that wars against the spirit, this fleshly nature that wants sin. But what I am telling you is this, there is hope. Why? Because Jesus can free you. He, let me put it this way. He already has freed you from sin. He's already done it once and he can do it again if you'll let him. But the way that's going to happen is that you've got to acknowledge, first of all, that it is your fault. Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. He's not the facilitator of sin. And the works of the law and setting up boundaries and limitations in your life, that might help, but it won't make you righteous. No, only Jesus can make you righteous. But you have to repent. And repentance is not just a God, I'm sorry, help me tomorrow. It's when you're so grieved and so broken over the way that your sin offends a holy God and when it costs Christ on the cross of Calvary and it breaks your will and it says, I no longer want to live under my sin. Jesus freed me from that. I want to live with him. And you ask Jesus to, to, to not to come back into your heart, not to save you again. That's not what it is. But what you're saying is this, is God, I'm going to get out of the way and I'm going to let Jesus live in me. I'm not going to I'm not going to just allow myself to be ruled and dominated by sin. I know that sounds simplistic, but that's what the word of God says. It's got to be by faith. See, when wherever Jesus lives in. Righteousness lives out. That's what his message is. Jesus doesn't facilitate sin. Faith doesn't facilitate sin. No faith facilitates righteousness. Why? Because Jesus lives within. And when Jesus is living in you, and like Paul says, Jesus is living through you, that's not ever going to lead you to sin. That's going to lead you to righteousness. And so that automatically tells you that if you're struggling with sin, it's because you're not allowing Jesus to live through you. You're allowing your flesh to live through you. But what this scripture gives us hope in is that Jesus is sufficient to forgive you, to justify you, to clean you up, and to make you righteous, not only in heaven, but right here, right now. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. I'm still here. But it's not me that's living now. This righteousness didn't come from me. It didn't come because of my adherence to the law. It came because Christ lives in me. So the life that I now live in this flesh, I live still by faith in the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Jesus is sufficient. He is the cause of the effect of righteous living. If only we would yield ourselves to him. Father, we come to you tonight.